So over two decades ago in Arizona, a small version of Earth was created in a biodome. And in this glass dome, right, they, they created a perfectly controlled artificial environment with purified water, healthy soil, and filtered light. And the goal of this biodome was to create perfect growing conditions for trees, fruits, and vegetables. Maybe to see if we could put this on Mars sometime in the future and, and live there. And, and for a while it was going really, really well. Everything was growing, it was luscious, it was good. But then one day the scientists walked in and all the trees had just fallen over. And they were confused as to what happened until they realized they forgot one key element. And that was natural wind for the trees. Because wind is vital to trees because as it blows, wind causes the roots of the trees to grow deep. Right? Yes, wind sways and bends the trees and sometimes even breaks them or rips off branches. But it's also the very thing that makes it able to grow tall. The trees in the biodome fell over because their roots could not support their heights. And Joseph, the main character in our story, he would have fallen over as well if his dream had come to pass without the wind in his life. Joseph's pain, suffering, and years of waiting formed deep roots in God that allowed him to steward the dream well as it became reality. And last week, Aaron showed us beautifully how the violence done against Joseph in his past formed forgiveness towards his brothers and family in the present. And I wonder, what else did God form in Joseph? I wonder what God is forming in you and in me, in our places of pain, suffering, and waiting. What's he doing in you? What's he doing in me? And I want to enter back into our story and find out. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 46. And I'm going to read the first four verses for us. So Israel, or Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And then God said, I am God. The God of your father, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So Jacob had just found out that his son Joseph was alive. And so what he decided to do was gather up all his family, all his possessions, and head toward Egypt. But he decided to stop in Beersheba to seek divine counsel. Because Jacob needed reassurance. 
Because what he was doing was a big deal because Jacob was removing his family from the land of Canaan. The land that God had promised Abraham and Isaac before him. The promised land that God had brought Jacob to. The place where his family was supposed to grow into a a nation of many people. And Jacob was removing them from that place. And so he sought God at the same place where God met his father before and his grandfather before that, Beersheba. And God showed up and spoke. He said, Jacob, I am God. I am the God of your father and your grandfather. I am the same one. Go to Egypt. I will make you a great nation. I will be with you. The promise is secure. And Jacob no doubt knew the promise that God was talking about. It's the promise that he made to his grandfather, Abraham. Do you, do you remember the promise in Genesis chapter 12? God said this, Go from your country to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. This word of reassurance from God to Jacob is a culmination of all the promises God had made to his people beforehand. And this moment in the story cannot be emphasized enough. Because these words, the words that God spoke to Jacob in this moment, they are the last recorded direct words from God to his people until God shows up in the burning bush with Moses in Exodus chapter 3, almost 430 years later. And so God reveals himself personally. I am God to Jacob, reassuring him that the promises will be And the narrator is looking at the next great moment of revelation that's coming. And you know what this shows us? This shows us that this story is so much bigger than Joseph. This story is so much bigger than Jacob or any one character. Yes, the story is is importantly and most certainly about God forming and shaping Joseph and giving him deep roots. But even more than that, this story is about the salvation of God's people from famine. This story is about the promise that God gave his people that they would be a great nation created and formed to be a blessing to all nations. And Joseph realizes this. Remember in chapter 45, Joseph tells his brothers, hey, God sent me before you to preserve life. To preserve a remnant on earth and to keep alive many survivors. And so this story is not just about Joseph and God's providence in Joseph's life, but it's also about God's promises for his people in the world. And so Dort, students, staff, and faculty in this room, your pain, your hurt, your suffering, your waiting, 
Your story is most certainly giving you deep roots in God and forming your character. But even more than that, it's a part of God's story to bring salvation to others and the entire world. And the question is, will you let it? Will you let your deepest pains, hurts, and suffering be the place that God forms and transforms to bring freedom, healing, and renewal to the world? Will you let God transform your deepest pains, hurts, and suffering to be the way that he brings freedom, healing, and renewal to the world? Let's see if Joseph allowed that to happen. Let's get back to our story. Genesis 46, verses 28 to 30. And Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. And Joseph presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, and know that you are still alive. This is the moment. This is the moment where father and son reunite for the first time in a long, long time. And Joseph, the text tells us that Joseph prepared, or Joseph hitched his chariot to go see his father. Now remember, Joseph is second in command in Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth. And probably Joseph was used to people coming to him. Joseph was used to people serving him. Joseph was used to waiting for people to enter his presence. But in this scene, Joseph is not an authoritative ruler. He's an anxious son who wants to go see his dad for the first time in 20 years. And so he prepares his chariot, and he goes. And the text tells us he presented himself before Jacob, his father. I want to experience this moment. I wish I could be there. I want to experience the joy of Jacob in this moment. And I know many of us in the room, particularly if you're students, you're not parents. We do have some parents in the room, but I just want you to imagine this moment with me for just a moment. Your son or daughter, believed to be dead for over 20 years, is now before you. What do you feel? What's going on inside you? Maybe shock? Overwhelming joy and thankfulness? Honestly, it's probably just indescribable that, that words just can't convey all of the motion, emotions that you are feeling. But what a moment. And then they weep together. And it says they weep for a while. And Jacob, who previously stated a few chapters earlier that he was ready to die in the depths of Sheol, now says, I am ready to die in peace. I've seen my son. My life is complete. What a powerful scene. 
but the work of resettlement is not over. Joseph has much to do to give his family land in Egypt. So Joseph begins to prepare his brothers. He goes to his brothers and he's telling them what to say to Pharaoh. He doesn't want them to say the wrong thing or inappropriate thing. He's teaching them kind of the cultural things of what they should say and what they shouldn't say. But first, Joseph must go tell Pharaoh that his family has arrived. And as Joseph does that, he's, he tells Pharaoh, he says, hey, look, all my family is here. They came with their flocks. They came with their herds. They came with all of their possessions. And now they're waiting in Goshen. And commentators note that Joseph is making every precaution to make sure that Pharaoh gives the directive for his family to settle in Goshen. Why? Because Goshen is the best land in Egypt. It's the best pasture land. And not just that, it's separate from Egyptian culture. And so Joseph wants his family to have their distinct identity as God's people remain. And so Pharaoh meets Joseph's brothers, he meets Joseph's father, and he gives permission for them to settle in Goshen. And then we get these words in fo chapter 47, starting in verse 11. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Joseph not only gave his family the best of the land to live there for a while, for a few weeks, or even for a few years. He didn't give them the land to simply rent at a cost, but the text tells us that Pharaoh and Joseph gave them the land to own. He went above and beyond to bless them, and they had plenty of food in the middle of a famine. Now, if you're like me in this moment, in the story, you might be thinking something like this. How did Joseph get to this point? How did he get here? Right, okay, he forgave his brothers. Okay, maybe I can understand forgiving someone when they've wronged you. But to move from forgiveness to blessing? No way. I've been hurt too much. Like, Joseph was hurt and condemned in all of the years of pain and hurt and suffering. What's he doing? How did he get to this point to bless them and serve them and care for his family? And if you're thinking something like that, it makes total sense. But I want to bring us back to the question I asked earlier. Will you let God transform your deepest pains, hurts, and disappointments to be the way he brings freedom, healing, and renewal to others and the world? Will you let God do that? And if your answer is yes, Joseph shows us the pattern. And for Joseph and for us, it starts with being honest about your pain. To be honest about your hurt. Aaron, last week, invited us to go back to a place of hurt and pain. And I actually want to invite us back to that space right now. For you to picture, 
someone or something or maybe even yourself that has caused pain and hurt and suffering and disappointment in your life. And I know it's difficult to go back to that place, but it's important to be honest about your hurt and pain that you've experienced from other people and even yourself. Joseph was honest about it. Think about all of the times Joseph wept in this story. In chapter 45, he wept so loud that people who weren't even close to him in the same room heard him. Joseph was honest about his sadness, his loss, and his pain. And you can be too. You have a choice. You can either choose to protect yourself and shield yourself from the hurt, pain, and loss. And that's what unforgiveness does. Think about it like this. We live in a culture where everything must get paid back. That's what cancel culture is. We become the judge, jury, and executioner. Joseph could have canceled his brothers. Joseph could have paid back everything his brothers were owed. Violence, condemnation, hunger, death. You name it. Joseph had the power to cancel them. For them to be done. But he didn't do it. But we so often do. And when we cancel or when we refuse to forgive, we never release our pain. We suppress it, and it becomes imprisoned in us. And it becomes, a, it becomes a part of who we are, and it gives us a false sense of power and protection, safety and security. And while on the outside it may look like we have power and we're giving people what's theirs and what they deserve, on the inside we are being eaten alive. And just like the trees fell in the false security of the biodome, we will fall under the false security and protection of unforgiveness. And so we can either protect ourselves from the pain and hurt and loss, or we can forgive. And it's out of our honest grieving of the pain that we can forgive. So can I tell you, forgiveness does not belittle your pain. It takes your pain really, really seriously. And can I tell you, forgiveness actually releases the pain that we so desperately want to pay back. Aaron put it like this last week. He said, God gives us the gift of forgiveness to free us from our past. And I want to add to that. Forgiveness not only frees us from the pain of our past, it launches us into the possibility of the present. Joseph was freed from his past and launched into the present. And you know what he did? He blessed his family and he saved the world. And you can too. But this is where it gets really difficult. Right? To move from forgiveness to blessing, to serving. Because for those of us who've been deeply wounded 
like Joseph has. I know. I don't know all your stories, but I know you come with some kind of wound. Maybe great, maybe small. You've been hurt. You've experienced pain. There's been suffering in your life. There's been failures. There has been disappointments. And we can feel like it is impossible to move to blessing and service. You know why? Because it's risky. We've been hurt too bad. If we begin to put ourselves out there again, if we begin to love again, if we begin to serve again, if we begin to bless people, if we begin to allow the deepest pains in our life to be the very way God transforms the world, there's potential we might get hurt again. It's vulnerable. It's frightening. It's scary. In this moment, the choice we must make is this. Is God safe? Is God good? And can God be trusted? And it's okay if you're sitting here this morning and you're not ready to say yes to those things. It took Joseph over 20 years to get to that point. But I want you to know that God is safe. That God is so good. And that God can always and forever be trusted. And just as God reassured Jacob of his promises, and just as God has transformed Joseph's pain into blessing, he is doing that and will do that for you. Paul tells us that all of the promises of God are a yes and amen in Jesus. Jesus came to pay the debt so that you do not have to be imprisoned by it any longer. Jesus came so that we may live in the reality of the resurrection here and now. Jesus came to release you from the pain of your past and launch you into the possibility of this present moment. Paul also said that God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And there's no doubt you've heard that verse. There's no doubt that verse is overused and misused and, and maybe we become desensitized to it, but can I tell you it doesn't make it any less true. God does not want hurt and pain to happen to you. Whatever your suffering or traumatic experience, God is grieved by it. He's saddened by it. He hates that it happened, but he promises to renew it. He promises to restore it. He promises to redeem it. He promises to heal it. He promises to transform it, to heal and save the world. And we see this with Joseph. Joseph was transformed. It's evident in this text because we look and we see Joseph's dream was originally about his own glorification. But now it's about the world's salvation. So will you let God transform your deepest hurts, pains, and disappointments? To be the way he brings freedom, healing, and renewal to the world. We let him in. Will you take down the walls and will you let him transform it?
for the sake of others in the world. 